talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. G'day, one and all, and welcome to another episode of The Dropped Kickoff. My name is Nick Vasiliev, and uh, I'm here one, once again for another Q&A session, and I'm joined by once again by the Green and Gold Rugby News team, who have now, finally, we can start talking about rugby again, which is excellent. Um, and I'm going to start off with Nathan. How are you, Nathan? I'm great. How good was it to have rugby, actual Australian rugby back on the TV last week? I'm over the moon. <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing. Just uh, it made me realize, uh, like five ten minutes in, even though we were having scrum resets after scrum resets, I was just thinking, even then, God, I missed this. Absolutely missed it. Um, also, we've got Jacko Rock. Jack, how you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Just hunkering down in uh, in the bunker over in Des Moines. Um, <laughs> just excited to yeah see the rugby back. It, it it'll be really interesting to see you know how how this comp with uh, only Australian teams um, pans out for the future. Yeah, well, I agree. And I think it'll be, it's kind of one of the potential topics of discussion that we're going to go on tonight. And then, but yeah, but lastly, of course, our, uh, just to stay out of the Sydney bubble, we have Dylan Langes all the way down in Melbourne. How are you, Dylan? Oh, not too bad, Nick. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm sorry to, given the, st- <laughs> given the state of things, but I'm glad that we can at least talk about some footy. Oh, absolutely. I've, my, uh, my missus thought my heart palpitations watching the Rebels was quite funny. I said, no, this is a regular occurrence. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I was actually, before we kind of came on, just for a bit of context, we, we did also have a chat about, I've, I've just come back from training session. I'm fresh. I've, it's been raining here in Sydney, um, so I'm sweaty. It's, uh, so I'm feeling soggy as all hell. But you were mentioning that, you had that you weren't able to go back to training today, which broke my heart. No, so last week my suburb got put into lockdown, so I couldn't go to training, thinking, okay, I'm going to be out of training for two weeks, uh, for four weeks, sorry. And then uh, we got the news today that the state's gone to lockdown for six weeks, which, gee, it's not looking good for the uh, Dewar Shield season. Oh, bugger. Because, yeah, they were going to start like august weren't they like august 1st or whatever but yeah i think august 2nd was meant to be the date but the what, what sets you back is you've got to like under rugby australia you have to have three weeks of contact no. so that's nine at least nine ten weeks away before we can actually start playing mm. yeah hard. that's yeah that's rough so um, to ever all of our victorian listeners we're really hoping you guys are all okay and it sucks that uh, that things are happening down there like they are. But hopefully to make us feel all, be- all better, as Jack mentioned, we had the kickoff of Super Rugby AU over the weekend, and gee, it was good to, to have some footy back on the TV. Um, and so to kick us off, we've got six uh, questions. We are through it through our little tweet out on the Twitter sphere um, and kind of asked you guys, what did you, what did you want us to talk about for today's Q&A? And so this is what you delivered for us. And so kicking off, obviously, in line with the Super Rugby AU returning, we had Ballymore Rat kicking off. And I uh, <laughs> love the name, <laughs> lovely bloke. And I love the question he asked, which is, who's going to win Australia, the Super Rugby AU, and why is it the Queensland Reds? Which <laughs> I love so much. So I'm going to throw, uh, I'm going to throw this first question uh, to you, Dylan, just uh, out of out of interest. Because, um, do you th- first of all, do you think it's going to be the Reds? And on top, of, and uh, who do you think's going to who do you think's your favourite to win? Uh, I don't think it's going to be the Reds. Um, I think the Reds show a lot of promise. They have a lot of talent in that team. Uh, I think they just they just lack that that next level to put the Waratahs to the sword a little bit. And I think the team that does have that next level is the Brumbies. Uh, you know, being a Melbourne man, I'd love to say it was the it would be the Rebels, but I just I'm got to be realist. And I think the Brumbies just show that they have that composure, they have that next level, that next gear, and they've got the talent. Mm, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I mean, they've. I think the the majority of 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 folks, you know, outside of before the season started, would have said 
the Brumbies as well. Unless you guys have an opinion, Jack, I, I reckon you're. I, I reckon you'll be pretty much right on side as a as a fellow who supports the Brumbies. Yeah, that's right. I was actually, I was actually uh, <laughs> pleasantly surprised with the with the Waratahs how they went, but yeah, the Brumbies I think have too much strike power. They got the talent, they got the coaching, and and they've got that killer instinct. So, yeah, number one for me. Are you going to deviate, Nathan, or are you in line as well? As much as I want to try and make a pitch that the Waratahs couldn't make this miraculous comeback and turn around, <laughs> it's, it's too hard to back against the Brumbies. I think they've got that sort of perfect mix of experience and youth. Um, as we saw on the weekend, they have that ability to just close a game out, which I think really sets them apart from the rest of the competition. And I think it's honestly theirs to lose. Look, well, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to start to play devil's advocate here because I kind of anticipated that everyone would say would go with the Brumbies, and yes, they are looking like the the team to beat. And yes, in my own personal biased fan perspective, they are the best team in the world, and nothing can take that away from me. Um, but it would be, I would be, you know, the the two teams I think that can really challenge that are the Reds when they are backing themselves and confident. And the Rebels, funnily enough. And I kind of want to ask Dylan while I've got you here, what is what is going on with the Rebels? Because they've got the talent. Dave Vessels is a fantastic, capable, you know, brilliant coach who is a fa- with a fantastic rugby mind. Do they have it in them to win it? And if so, what is really holding them back right now? Uh, look, I think it could be a couple of things. I think the psychology behind it, I think that, there's just something that always seems to be hitting them in the back of the head. Uh, we've seen it the last couple of years. They sort of have a really good start to the season and then they just sort of fade away and then it becomes that, oh, are we going to get there? You know, and it, it pains me to watch. You know, I watch, I watch all the games and it does, but that's how it sort of comes off and it's really unfortunate. Uh, they, they do have the talent and I think that they could come back. I think a lot of... Uh, early on, the Brumbies just showed a lot of, you know, a lot of skill. Like that Muirhead try really sort of probably rattled them a little bit. Uh, but they came out strong after halftime, which was good. Uh, yeah, look, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, watching the game, you know, there were those silly passes they made, but there were there was a lot of positives to take away. So it's it's a hard one. They look, you're right, Nick. They might come out. They might turn this around. They do have the talent. They've got the strength. Maybe they just need the confidence. Mm. Yeah, I think so. It's a. It, I think confidence is a big is a big part of it. And because often when they do get on a roll, you know, we've seen them win four or five games on the trot, um, which in a competition this short is will be all will be all the difference you make. I'm going to kind of broaden this question here because I know Ballymore Rat will be will be asking us to advocate for the Reds because. Uh, and I know that the likes of Rugby Reg will be wanting it too. Let's open this question up, gentlemen. If it's if the Brumbies are going to make the final, and we all think that the Brumbies are going to make the final, who will be the other team they'll be playing against? Who will be the main competitor? I'm going to say it's tough oh. to go past the Reds. I yeah. to, I'm not just saying that because Reg kind of controls what goes on the website. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, I honestly think that... When I looked at that forward pack when it was named as, as a Waratahs fan, that was one of the first times I've seen an Australian pack outside the Brumbies and thought, oh, goodness, like, they can actually, this is actually something to be sort of not scared about, but almost intimidated. And I think if you get that combination of McWright, Wright and Wilson sort of firing on this day, um, it's, I think they can kind of match the Brumbies. I think that X factor is James O'Connor. I was impressed that, I was, I'm unsure why he wasn't kicking from the start, but those last 10 minutes, he seemed to kind of calm, calm it down. Um, when, when they needed someone to sort of take that game, sort of be an X factor, he was that guy. So if they, I think they're the team to make the sort of final alongside the Brumbies. And James O'Connor's that type of player that can split a game open and even still, still a final if he's on his game. I'm actually going to go against you on that, Nathan, about uh, James O'Connor, because I actually think that's probably the Reds weakness is not having a 10. I think he's a, he's a natural 12. Personally, if I'm picking a Wallaby squad, he, he's a 12. But I, I still, I think if you, you couple him with getting Jordan 
I think Pattaya, Thorne was saying, will come back towards that back end. I think if you can build that combo, maybe get Hamish Stewart. If you if you need a 10, I think he's been solid when he's had a chance. I still think they're, they're a decent shot. Yeah. What do you reckon, Jack? Do you reckon it's uh, it's going to be a Reds-Brumbies final or do you reckon the likes of the Waratahs? And we haven't even had the chance to chat about uh, all the Rebels. We haven't even had a chance to chat about the Force yet. Who, who had the bye, but we'll be uh, we'll be kicking off next week. Is anyone else? Do you reckon there's anyone else a shot an outside chance? I think yeah, the Reds have all the all the pieces to put it together. Um, you know, they've been saying for a couple of years now that they're you know building, and I think this this type of competition, this kind of, kind of format is 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 their perfect um, opportunity to yeah grab some silverware. I think they can really push. Um, in terms of the force, uh, yeah, we haven't really seen them. They've got a few new recruits, so it'll be interesting to see how they stack up against the rest of the competition. Yeah, I reckon I reckon they will be as well. I think in the past when when they had, I think when, with with the global rapid rugby squad, and I think that the Rebels came and they and they beat them. I think it was twelve twenty eight. Um, a few years ago, you kind of got a sense that that squad was a little cusp below. Uh, it's like a strong NRC, like l- weaker Super Rugby side, but with all of these new recruits that they've had coming in, um, and I, uh, you know, I have no, I have comp. I think that they'll definitely be a dark horse of the competition if they're gonna, in terms of those those that talent they have on display. All right, awesome. I think we've uh, we've hit the nail on the head there. All of us are, are thinking Brumbies again. It'll be likely a Brumbies Reds final, potentially maybe the Rebels. Um, but who knows? It's uh, only week one and how times change come into the season. So question two, we dive in just as a, a bit of an expansion on this point uh, from Jamie Hevia. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly, mate. He asked the question, five teams, is it sustainable both here and in New Zealand in a purely domestic comp as great as it is? He, he puts forward the point that he thinks not. If a domestic competition is the way forward, we need more A-teams or more playoffs between Australia, New Zealand and Australia. Um, I'm going to actually... This is a really interesting one, and I'm going to throw throw this to you uh, first, Jack. Um, what do you reckon? Do you reckon... We, I mean, we've all grown up watching... You know, we're all 20-somethings. We've all grown up uh, having four teams and then five teams around. Um, and is five teams... The way forward for Australia. Yeah, if we if we want to grow that that player pool, we've got to have more teams um, with more opportunities, more more spots for competition, um, and competing regularly against each other. So I, I like this uh, new Super Rugby AU format. Um, I think the way forward maybe is yeah, Super Rugby AU, Super Rugby New Zealand. Super Rugby South Africa, and then at the end of the year, maybe uh, the two best teams go into a playoffs or, or some sort of system like that. Oh, like a Heineken um, Cup, you mean? Yeah, because on one hand, you have the Super Rugby AU, which is which is great and um, provides that you know that regular domestic uh, competition that everyone can tune into week in and week out. the The other, you know, the other side of the sword is that you know, with you know, if you're just going up against um, this, you know the Super Rugby domestic teams. Um, there's not, you know, there's not that many opportunities to challenge yourself besides, you know, the Test Arena against um, foreign opposition. So, yeah, maybe, maybe have the maybe have the Super Rugby AU comp uh, running all year, and then uh, a playoff with the with the other nations. Yeah, look, it's an interesting idea, and it's you know one personally that I've thought to be a really interesting prospect going forward because everyone has all, all talked about having more derbies and that derbies are a big thing that people love um but at the same time playing against the best um is a big part of that development pathway dylan i'm gonna throw to you for this one because obviously the three of us i mean we've seen a lot of discussion on gaga and you know a lot of people have often talked about going back to you know, the glory days of having the three teams, you know, the Brumbies in Canberra and, you know, New South Wales and the Reds. Um, but you, as, a, as a Victorian, what do you think that it's, you know, is, is it how has the Rebels, you know, changed things in terms of rugby in Victoria? Is it something that, you know, can be seen as sustainable and can be seen to work, um, you know, from in a state where rugby isn't the main sport? Look, it's not the main sport here. 
But I think with the right investment, the right planning, and actually just some control, I think that we could see it grow here. Um, you know, Melbourne's predicted to be at 10 million people eventually in, in the next 15 years or something. If you can get, you know, 1% of them supporting rugby, that's 100,000 people. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a lot of support. And I think that we need to start looking at, you know, those sort of numbers long term. But no, I, I don't think going back to three teams is the right idea. And I think, you know, I know everyone says, oh, it's stronger as three. Yeah, okay, maybe at the super level. And maybe it makes the Wallabies look a little bit better because, yeah, there are less combinations out there. But I think you actually are limiting a lot of players. You know, if you talk about the Reds, look at someone like Hunter Pasami, who last year wasn't talked about and is this year is now referred to as a bolter. Because mm. the other young red was getting um, was getting talked about, Jordan Pattaya. So you get these young guys, and Pasami spent a season or two down with the Rebels, I think. I think it was at least one season, but couldn't break the squad. So then he moved. Um, he's moved around a bit, um, and there's been plenty of guys in Super Rugby that have done time at different teams and come down, and they haven't quite found their fit. But I just think, yeah, you look at someone like Jack Maddox. At the start of the season, you know, you had Dane Halepetti at the Rebels, Banks at the um, uh, Brumbies, Kirtley Beal was the first choice at the Waratahs, and, um, you know, Hegarty or Campbell or even Stewart at the Reds. Like, if you cut the teams, that player pool gets smaller. But we've seen on the weekend, Maddox is an out-and-out fullback. He's an out-and-out talent. So I think cutting the teams is just going smaller is silly. But I actually think we should expand. I think we should grow the Australian competition. I know you're going to like this answer, Nick, because I think we need to grow the NRC. I think if we go, all right, you know, expand Super Rugby AU into being what the NRC is, having seven, eight teams, that's a good number of um, games you can get into a season. So you have uh, the Force, the Rebels. You can can use Queensland Country um, and Brisbane City. New South Wales country and whatever Sydney team they want to call it. Uh, what are they calling it these days, Nick? Stars still? No, nah, just Sydney now, I think. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you can then include the uh, the Drua. You could look at trying to bring someone in from Japan if you really wanted to, like the Sunwolves. Create a good competition that way. That's that's something that people can get behind because I think as much as we like saying playing against the top, you know, playing against the best becomes the best. We're all a little bit tired of what they're going, oh, we're playing the Crusaders this week. Okay, that's going to be a 50-point drubbing. Yeah, and I see your point. And I think if, you know, going off the idea that, that, that Jack suggested of having, you know, a purely domestic comp, um, you know, separate from New Zealand to, you know, like a New Zealand comp and an Australian comp and a South African comp, and then we all meet with the best teams later in the season, I think it does makes sense to have more games and therefore more competitive teams. But I think kind of going back on, on Jamie's question on if it, if it is it actually sustainable, you know, I'm going to, and I mean, I am on the side of, you know, I personally think that there are after that, that we have in terms of player depth enough for five teams. Um, I think the question he asks is, um, is it sustainable, which is a much more, is it in terms of if as a business model as actually improving it can our game in its current form manage five teams um which is a very difficult question in terms of you know if yeah. if for example the reds or the, if the rebels for example had made it to a finals uh series um and you know were attracting regular crowds of 15 to 20,000 i think the question would be fine we wouldn't be asking this question because you'd be having a franchise that would be averaging tens of thousands of people turning out, um, likely um, being really positive to their to the hip pocket. The Force have, have shown to have fantastic ground support and now on top of it have the support of a multi-billionaire as well. Um, and that leaves you basically the Reds, the Waratahs and the Brumbies, which are the more established bases, uh, more established teams, um, effectively. Um, the, I think... If, from a we're, we're we're talking from a player perspective here, which I th- I completely agree that we can ha- that five teams is required. But as from a business perspective, from a, if in a future of rugby perspective, can we afford it? I'm gonna throw. What do you reckon, Nathan? I feel like I've kind of thrown you in the thrown you in the deep end <laughs> with that question there. <laughs> you 
that's the classic hospital pass there. Um, <laughs> that's that's the million dollar question. I mean, to be honest, the the way of this whole sort of the current environment is, we don't know if we can get let alone four teams or three teams through. It's it's all up in the air. But I think if we can get sort of Twiggy Forest backing, if we can kind of centralize the whole system, I think there is enough sort of there should be enough resources both in terms of players and money and facilities that we can sort of harbour five teams. We certainly as I said, certainly have the players to do it. I think that it's in this climate, it's very hard to make a definite statement that yes, we will we'll be able to support all five teams. And I, I hope we can, because I think without the Western force, the competition does feel a little, would feel a little empty. And you would have to be relying, I reckon, on a secondary com- agreement with Kalala Nations to sort of play a full competition. But it's it's all going to be a matter of time. But hopefully that we we have we this all settles down and we will have the capacities to run a strong competition. Hopefully, in my my opinion, hopefully alongside New Zealand. Yeah, no, I think that's <clears throat> a fair point. It's kind of it's a question that we have to keep asking right now because obviously next year we haven't. At the moment, there's no plan for a, a new TV agreement. There's no guaranteed money stream coming in, so which is which is difficult. But if we're going back to the player point, five teams is it sustainable? My response to that is: with five teams, we actually won two premierships back in last decade. We had five teams in 2011, and the Reds won the whole competition. And then the Waratahs won it in 2014. In terms of player depth, I think we have it. Comes down to. But obviously, it's, it's obviously. Uh, yeah. Hmm? Sorry, so it's just giving those players more opportunities um, mm. to you know step up on on that stage mm. um, at, with regular competition. Yeah, I yeah I agree. So, I think look, it's a it's a difficult question, um, and and a complex one. Uh, and in, I know I think we can all I think we're all in agreement about about from a, from a player perspective, but obviously. You know, at the end of the day, rugby, you've got to look at it as, as a business as well. And it's a, it's a difficult one to respond to. Um, so let's duck away from the uh, from Super Rugby AU for a moment, um, because we got a couple of other uh, questions that were presented to us. And one of them, uh, kind of extending on the point of kind of players' development and everything, was from Quasimodo, um, which was, is an all-youth team really that good for development? So, for example, should the Reds or the Tars have their own youth teams or should they be creating something more of a mix, which I think they've got... At the moment, they have an under-19s team and they have other level teams. Um, I'm going to throw this to you first, Nathan, It's uh, because I know, you know there's a lot of talk around development and discussion like that. What do you think? It, it's tough because... You, have, you look at the team like the Waratahs and you can argue, or it was the argument was made when they were struggling, is that there is there still a lot of Super Rugby caps in that team. The problem is it was players that were not performing up to that level and who had that experience but couldn't kind of deliver on the field. You have your Beals, yeah, unfortunately, you have Rob Simmons, your Ned Hannigans, these type of players who have significant experience but just weren't delivering when the team needed. So when, you, when you're talking about do you need that mix? It's very difficult to sort of balance that and because and also ensure that the team is winning. Because as as we've seen with the Waratahs, I think we mentioned off there as well. Once they've they've seemed to have gotten rid of Beal and when oh he's gone over to France, and when you insert someone like Maddox in there, the team actually looked like it flowed a lot better. So I think it's more rather experience. It's just working out what what sort of suits best for the team, and then kind of. It's a lot of youth players. You kind of you take one or two seasons, like sort of Reds have done in the past, and just kind of build their experience through there. And so you're more working on combinations and, and sort of setting up that foundation for sort of future years. I reckon you better move. Interesting. So you reckon no no youth team and just have a development pro pathway that leads directly into the TAR system, or is it more just like a? I think you need that sort of. You need certain development points, but. There shouldn't be sort of over-reliance of we need certain bits of experience. We need, or we need certain players that can deliver that experience. It should just all be about sort of what combination works best for the team moving forward. Where if that's playing those young players, when you do that, and you still use all your clubs, your club systems, your, um, I think it's, it was called the Generation Blue, 
blue squad. I can't remember what it's, what it got mm. sort of changed to, but you can use that to sort of supplement the development. And we'll, by doing that, it's those sort of combinations of experience will end up working out for the better, I believe. Mm. Interesting, yeah. Um, Jack, what do you reckon, mate? Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they could implement sort of a uh, you know reserve grade Super Rugby competition. You know, have have the Waratah A and, mm. and um, Brumbies A. I think they do it a bit. I think the Brumby Runners are, are that sort of development yeah. development team, but they they don't really play week in and week out competition. I think I think it'd be good to have those sort of yeah yeah the A or the B squads um, going up against each other that you can pull from um, and 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 give players actual game time. You know. You, the classic case is always Mac Mason. You know, he he was in the squad but never got a bench spot and then got thrown to the wolves and that sort of stuff. If he was playing, you know, week in, week out uh, rugby, um, I think that would be good for the team. Um, I'd also like to see, you know, a couple, you know, hard-edged, um, you know, club club people uh, supplement, um, supplement those sort of squads. Um, because you know you, you do need experience, especially in the forwards. But um, but there's nothing wrong with uh, giving giving young guys a go as well. Yeah, no, it's it's. I think it's an interesting idea to actually have like a some sort of sup, uh, additional competition or kind of junior competition underneath the Waratahs and the Brumbies, so you have them in from the get go. What, what do you reckon, Dylan? Do you think that having a competition like similar to the idea one that's Jack suggesting here would would be beneficial, particularly for the likes of of you know, um, in Victoria and, and with the Rebels? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually think um, they were starting to do that at the start of the season because uh, the Rebels A squad or whatever, I think they called the Rebels A's or the mm. Rebels development team, played the Brumby Runners on a Friday afternoon. They played um, uh, the Waratahs A's or Gen Blues or whatever they're called, Nath, Um in Melbourne on a Saturday afternoon. So I think they are trying to get it, but I'm all for it because I remember speaking to someone at the Rebels who said that they'd stopped giving uh, Rebels players to Jewish Shield teams because they felt that it wasn't helping the development of Victoria having these, you know, superstar players turn up. You know, one one week they, um, one of the uh, clubs had Tom English, Jonah Placid and Dom Shipley mm-hmm. as, their back, as their back three. Like, that doesn't help us... Uh, a team develop um and a lot of the guys ended up going from playing shoot shield mm. um so by but then that that doesn't help cohesion and so having that development squad I, yeah i'm all for having a uh, development team um but i actually think you know it's it's quite hard because you want your senior squad to have a, a bit of a mixture like you don't want these young guys being thrown to the wolves um and you don't want them getting smashed week in week out because a lot of them are going to go well, I can go to Japan, I can go to France, or, you know, why do I want to play here if I'm just going to get beaten every week? Mm. So. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's, a, it's a good point. And, as my, I, and I personally am of the mindset that, I mean, from a personal perspective for me, whenever I've been playing in a rugby team and I'm clearly the junior, you often would look to those club veterans, even if, even if they were older blokes, to, to, for guidance and support. Um. I think, you know, we have some good examples, you know, going around. I mean, it's taken forever for the Reds to get to the level where they are now. I mean, you've had they've had five or six years of playing together and they are a very young squad. Um, but now they have sheer uh, fantastic talent. Um, all they need is that is that confidence. Um, whereas you've got the likes of, you know, the the you know you have the waratahs they do have a lot of young guys uh in the squad now but they've all, they've also got a lot of veterans and a lot of blokes who've who've picked up a hundred hundred game caps and stuff like that i think you know i'm i'm in agreement with you that i think a mix is best because if you you know when you learn from the best by playing you learn from the veterans by playing with them week in week out um all the time it's the similar it's the same kind of concept to the to the nrc you know you have your club players playing again playing against with your super rugby players on a week in week out club competition basis and i think having a mix is is ideal obviously if you have a young team like you do with the reds that is sheer talent um your leaders are going to have to emerge from there somehow but it's i think it's very valuable uh very valuable to have those kind of leaders in the squad and those veteran players who can show the younger players how to do it. 
Yeah. Well, I think that'll uh, lead us on to our uh, fourth question, and this is one that I think will be very uh, <laughs> in, uh, have a lot of debate as people who both watch the game and play it. I think we're all forwards here. Red's revival in our in our comments section for the last Q and A that we did basically had a question around scrum resets, particularly to the uh, towards the end of the game. Um, Scrums are fantastic. We love them, but every time they're getting reset, we all admit it, it's a pain in the ass. Um, and obviously it would be a major issue for viewers. The question that Red's Revival asks is how can we improve scrum resets or scrums? Um, this is a bit of a difficult one, and I'm going to throw it to you first, um, Jack. Uh, what do you reckon? What do we do in terms of scrum, in terms of scrum resets? I think we'd have to get uh, some props on here and get their opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I collapse that. the scrum. <laughs> they, they would have a, probably a pretty different answer. But, uh, uh, yeah, as we all know, yeah, we all love the scrum and, it, it, and it's one of the pillars of, of, of rugby and, and what makes it so great. Um, I'm sure there is just a number of tweaks we can make um, just to... Just to uh, yeah, just to make it a bit more entertaining. Um, and maybe we need to, maybe it's not around the rules. Maybe it's around the presentation of them and and, and talk up that battle and, and explain it more and maybe overlay some graphics that, that you know, that you can show what's happening and, and, and really explain to viewers what's going on in there. Because, you know, they call it a, call it the dark arts for a reason because 99% um, of the audience doesn't know what's even going on. Are you saying um, that Phil Kearns' commentary isn't educational? <laughs> he, isn't he explaining everything we need to know about rugby? Exactly. <laughs> over, over, over the COVID break, I remember watching there was a replay, I think it was on rugby.com.au or something, of, of, of the 1970s um, premiership game against Brothers versus, I think it was Uni. And the scrums back then, they were literally just launching into each other. It was full on. So I think we've come a long way, but there's, um, yeah, I think there could be a few uh, tweaks to techniques and, and rules that, you know, could just pep it up a bit. Sounding like to me, though, you t in terms of actual how we describe the game, how we just, you mean, in terms of actual presentation for viewers at home and stuff, you have to describe it. You mean put a bit more description into the actual scrum itself? Or is it more like... Because at the moment we're just yeah, I think make it yeah. I'm sure there's um, you know brilliant marketers that could come up with a way to uh, make it uh, more entertaining and more engaging. Don't yeah, wonder pun. <laughs> oh my god, I just realised what you did there. Um, <laughs> what do you reckon? What do you reckon, Nathan? Are you uh, do you reckon that it's is there a specific uh, marketing or specific rule changes that we should do in terms of the of the scrum reset. If so, what specifically do you reckon we should we should try to make scrum resets more or scrums more entertaining? It's tough. Um, I feel like because I do like do like Jack's point. I feel like as, as sort of uh, the audience who have watched the Wallabies for the past ten years, kind of. As soon as the, this dreaded scrum is mentioned, everyone starts shivering as, and sort of the cold sweats of playing the English, the Argentinians, and South Africans absolutely <laughs> murder our scrums come straight to mind. Um, I think it's I've, I've personally been of the opinion that you needed that limiting sort of scrum resets is probably the best way going forward. I mm. know that they're trying to do that already, but especially during that late game period. But I. I think it's we need to find that delicate i'm not sure personally how to do it myself but you need to personally find a battle where you can kind of stabilize the scrum but keep that integrity so that we're not going down that rugby league path where where they've got five eights packing down a prop right we need to maintain maintain integrity but also sort of ensure that we can get a lot more stable so we're not just restarting the scrum engage down engage down we need to Find a balance, yeah. I reckon. I, did, did I remember they, yeah. growing up playing footy, just to, you know, uh, sim it was simple as, um, you know, you would bind first and then push. So you, that you still have that contest, but, um, you know, it's not just collapsing straight away. Um, but, yeah, 
you'd have to get a scrum coach on here to explain, you know, why that's not <laughs> why that's not right. Didn't they um didn't they trial a a scrum clock a few years ago? Yeah, Global Rackaby Rugby did it. They had oh. it was uh, it was a sixty seconds to get it in and out. Mm. Otherwise it was a turnover. Yeah, I do remember reading something though, you know, Alan Alatar came out and said, um, you know, it, it takes time to set a scrum properly and, and there's danger. So he, I can't remember what he suggested, but um, he said rather than a scrum scrum clock, maybe just a set number of scrums. And if, if, if that doesn't happen, you know, go back to the Stellenbosch rules or it's just a quick tap. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's there's a, there's a whole bunch of options out there. What what do you what do you reckon, Dylan? Do you reckon we go for a scrum clock? Do you reckon we go for a a, a limited number of scrums? What do you think? Look, it's a bit hard to say because oh, look, I'm not a front rower, so you know I know it's a bit tougher, and you got to you do actually have to take safety into consideration. But yeah, there's nothing worse at the 71 minute mark going. Oh shit, here's a five meter scrum. All right, reset, reset, reset. Oh, 79 minutes tap kick out games lost or games won, depending on which way you're going. And so, you know, that's wasting 10 minutes. And I've taken non-rugby people to games and they've just gone, what are they doing? Why is this taking so long? So maybe you do need a clock. Maybe 60 seconds is too short. But I think, one, better training with referees. So a referee can make quick calls. I did think Angus Gardner, he, he blew a lot of uh, calls to the Ray of the Rebels, so... But I think he made quick decisions on Saturday night. I think a lot of refs don't, and they are, and they are, and they fluff about. So you've just got someone who's got to go, this is what happened, move on. And I think they, they've got to limit the number of times you can go go for the scrum because it's, yeah, three, four, five, six resets. It eats up 10 minutes. If you're not interested, you're just losing fans. But it's an intricacy of the game that we love. Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's the whole point of the scrum is a big the whole nature of it is a big part of 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 the of the actual nature of clashing of rugby. I think I and I agree. I think there's a lot of you know refereeing referees need to be I think a lot more clear cut about it. But it, you know it, it, even then kind of playing an advocate for referees, there's a lot of calls that can go one way and can go the other way because you have situations where in the split second a scrum. A prop or whoever may collapse the scrum and it might be to do with either the opposition player or the uh or the attacking player it's and the, and you have to make a, a, a split second call based on what's presented in front of you which can make it wishy-washy but i do but i do i do agree in terms of you know simplicity i think we should go extra we I think we should do both. Effectively, a scrum clock, maybe of obviously not a minute because we have to allow for the scrum to be set uh, set uh, safely, but around 90 seconds and probably maximum reset. You get it one. If it goes wrong, one. Go, if you get it wrong once, you reset it again. If it doesn't work again, free tap. And because that way you don't, you're not faffing around. It'll, it, it enables the game to be sped up and you're not just spending the whole time resetting. I don't know. That's my two cents on it. I think there needs to be multiple, a multi-pronged approach to fix it because at the end of the day, we do love scrums and we do want the entire push of scrums to be something that is an appealing part of the game. We don't want it to just be a bit of a afterthought and a bit embarrassing like you have with league where it's just, why is it there? What's the point of it? No one knows. What are you doing? Um, I reckon there's a, there's a whole bunch of approaches to it. In addition as well, we, you, you'd want the scrum to be competed for well. So maybe actual rules around it, uh, if, for example, it's not just a penalty but something else too, um, which would give incentives for a really strong competitive scrum um, and you wouldn't want to have a reset. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of complicated issues around that one, but I think there's a couple of ideas there. Um I reckon let's move on to our, our last two questions. And in typical fashion, we've kind of uh, these ones are making some very, very early speculative discussions around the Wallabies, the forthcoming Wallaby squad, and whenever they're playing and whoever they're playing. The we had a question from our very own Rugby Reg, who presented to us the question that if we could only bring three expats home to play for the Wallabies. 
who would they be? Which uh, I'm super keen to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm going to throw you throw to you first, Dylan. Uh, who would you be bringing home to put on the green and gold? All right, so mine's a bit of a cop-out answer because one I was going to, uh, one is uh, Sean McMahon because just his intensity, I think, has been something that's been lacking for a very long time. Uh, but there's actually two players that I would have picked but have actually come home anyway. So in uh, Nick White, because I think that we really were lacking a backup halfback or a next halfback to Will Guinea. And I think what Nick White went away as an average halfback and has actually come back as a really good halfback, really mature in his game uh, game management, uh, can just his tempo. It's just a lot to love about Nick White. So I know it's a bit of a cop-out because he's already coming back, but... Um, and I actually... I really want to see this guy in green and gold is Andrew Callaway. I've been wanting to get him back in Australian rugby for a long time. I watched him play a couple of times at Northampton. And again, a lot of talent. Now he's found his maturity. He's more of a man. He sort of went away as a bit of a boy. He was still a young guy. And now he's come back. He's a lot more mature, a lot, lot more talented. And I think he's that out-and-out winger that we have been missing uh, in Australian rugby. Oh, interesting! Very left field. Not, not. I love that you're going for kind of the younger guys who aren't, who haven't necessarily been picked or had many points apart from White, obviously, but who haven't had as many games in green and gold. What do you reckon, Jack? Are you on the side of bringing back the fire? <laughs> um, I think um, I think I'll bring back a couple second rowers in Adam Coleman and uh, Rory Arnold. Um, just give that. Uh, you know, give that uh, back row a bit of a bit of a juicer, um, and I think uh, we could we could do with a, a fly half. I don't know who's who's who uh, you know is Australian eligible overseas, but I think we need a, a few backups um, at fly half just as these um, you know these rookies get uh, get some game time. Um, and yeah, the big one is Karevi. I think he was a huge loss to us, and um, love to see him back in, in Australian rugby. Interesting. Very interesting. What do you reckon, Nathan? Uh, this, is, this is the child we're going third. Um, I've, I agree with both of you guys' points. I have Rory Arnold as well. I reckon when you look at I sort of put it on the basis of looking at that Wallabies team, where's your main weakness? I think with Rodder gone, we need another lock, and Arnold would sit that perfectly. Um, McMahon as well. Um, I couldn't believe he was only 25. I thought he was, for some reason I had in my head, he was a lot older, sort of getting towards that 30. And by the sounds of it, he's really sort of matured and continuing to develop over in Japan. The third one is another second rower, someone who was close to coming back, the former New South Wales Waratah himself, Will Skelton. I think the point still made about Nick White, I think you can, you can almost translate that to Will Skelton as well. All, all reports, he's kind of he's dropped that puppy fat over playing over there. Um, he was keeping out some very good locks, uh, um, very good English locks um, while he was playing in that in that for that Premiership team. And I think when you, when you look at someone like him, he could be that nice that nice player you bring back and kind of bridge the gap between some of the more less experienced second rowers that we currently have floating around Super Rugby. <sighs> Damn the lot of you. You've stolen like a decent chunk of all of mine right here. <laughs> well, I, I, I had a left field one because I did I did think about Rory Arnold, but the thing that stopped me with Rory Arnold was last season he was phenomenal. He was a revelation. We were like, oh, God, how are we going to lose this guy? But the season before, he just wasn't that great. And he was sort of that, oh, he's not living up to his potential. And then he signed and he decided after signing that he had nothing to lose, so he was actually going to play some of his best rugby. Because I also had yeah. um, Tolu Latu, who up until last year was causing all sorts of trouble. You're thinking, how the hell is this guy still getting picked? And then pulls on a gold jersey and plays some of the best footy he's ever played. So... Makes you realise how many good players have gone overseas. That's <laughs> one. That was incredible. The fact he was stuck behind Fitzpatrick for a lot of the seven world towers, pulls on a Wallabies jersey and is all of a sudden a bona fide starter. It's some of the players ridiculous. 
Yeah, I think and so as well. Over that sort of that 2019 to, to just leave us. We just got a tweet coming through, someone saying, how has no one said Fardy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just saw Nicholas Hill just I mean, tweeted us. Yeah. Is he still playing? I would have thought he's retired by now. What is he, 47? Yeah, apparently, apparently being great guns over there, everyone loves him. He's a he's a cult hero. <laughs> uh, he's a, he, but he's a cult hero in Australia as well. Like it's great. He always, he always is. It's one of those things. Just that all the talent we've lost, we got to do better. Sort of keeping the guys like Luke Jones, as I mentioned, he's going over to France. We got to find a way to keep him around. Well, it got yeah. confirmed today that uh, Matt Phillips heading to France as well. That's um, right. I think it's only short term, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's only, like, it's only it's a season. Like, but, you know, it's still not great that we're letting these guys letting these guys leave when there's just so much potential. But if they do go and get better, then that's what you, you sort of want. Yeah. Even, even players like... Um, uh, we've probably, probably got lots of props, but uh, Alan Alatoa's brother, Michael Alatoa, He's he's been playing off in the off of the Crusaders for for years now. It'd be great to lure him back. And a bit of a left field one um, is he's a player called he was playing for the uh, Sunwolves. Um, oh, I've lost his name now. Can't remember it. Uh, Liam Gill? No, no, not Liam Gill. That was no, no, no. I know the one you mean. Hang on, let me let me let me get him up here. Hang on a sec. Um, I know. Oh, I know. Um, he, was, he was the captain. He was the skipper for. Um, he was the skipper for. Lee. He was. He used to play oh, for the um, Not Ed Quirk. Is it Ed Quirk? No, Ed Quirk. That was it. I think that was it. Yeah, that's it. Ed, yeah. Ed Quirk. That's the one. Uh, there's yeah. a there's a bloke called Ben Gunter as well. He he uh, went through the Reds program, I think, and 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 found his way um, to Japan. I think half the Sunwolf squad came out of the Reds program at one point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jake yeah. Shafts as well was over there. Was over there. Yeah, bloody hell. This we could go. We could go on all night. I love that we. The question literally started with you could bring three back, and we've literally just spiraled down into about thirty. Um, and uh, I personally, I think you, you've you've taken a whole bunch. For me, the big ones would be first bringing Willie Ske- uh, Big Will Skelton back. I reckon you need some grunt in that. In the, in your in your scrum, he's dropped the puffy the um the the fat. He looks like a well oiled machine. He was terrifying. I remember watching him playing against France, and he was absolutely terrifying. Um, and I was glad that he was playing for us. And uh, I'd absolutely love to bring him back. Second of all, um, I rec- I reckon having Karevi there as a great option in the centres would be fantastic as well. Um, obviously he's he's a bloke that obviously I think he's he's, he's Still, he's he's only still pretty young, but he's doing. He's shown so much great potential, and he's proved to be a real sledgehammer, um, bringing some real aggression in terms of go forward in, in in attack for the for the for the backs. And then lastly, you mentioned him really quickly in passing, Nathan um, Liam Gill. This bloke has had. He hasn't had a. He hasn't got a run. He hasn't had a chance to play to to actually strap on the green and gold. I don't think. Um, and. As much as we have a lot of fantastic loose forwards uh, circling around the country right now, particularly at the Reds with you, with Fraser McWright and um, Harry Wilson, um, I reckon having a bloke like Liam Gill there as kind of a, a great mentor um, would be ideal because he's played so many uh, seasons at French Rugby in Lyon and the coaching and staff they have there are fantastic. I reckon he'd be a, a fantastic addition to kind of really compliment the likes of, of other players like Michael Hooper and other fellas in the scrum as well. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a long winded, long winded response. Sorry, Reg, we got a bit sidetracked there for that question, but um, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial, not intending to be controversial, but I just think I'm probably one of the only people that was happy to see Karevi leave because I think that the gameplay that Checker built was get the ball to, um, to Karevi. You know, his, his original game plan was get it to Izzy. Now, then it was get it to Karevi. And we just saw that Karevi was a one-dimensional ball runner. He crashed ball hard and he was hard to take down. But there's a bloke that should have been able to offload. I remember in the Wales game, I think it was the Wales game, he had, you know, six line breaks for no passes. And there were people trying to run off him and they were running all the right lines. He just doesn't pass. So I actually think if he really wanted to up his game and not chase money... 
go and play in New Zealand or go and play in England uh, or, you know, in the um, European competition, go and actually go up against big, hard um, defenders and challenge himself. Right now, he's just running rings. You watch the highlights. He's just running rings and running through these Japanese blokes. Like, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. And I think it's... Uh... It's it's obviously he's chasing he's chasing the money and and, and you know all, all power to him he's entitled to that um, but yeah I think if the, but the problem I think as well is because you know Checker was playing that aiming to have that very entertaining aggressive attacking style running through walls um, technique and I think uh, passing to Karevi was just one of his ways of doing that I reckon Karevi he has shown at Brisbane City when he was playing in the NRC and then also, you know, at the Reds when he was kind of standing out there. But he could actually adapt pretty well um, when you actually had a smart game plan to work with. Um, yeah. Well, because the, the Reds had that same game plan. Let's get it to Karevi. That's why I'm actually been more impressed with the Reds since him leaving because mm-hmm. they did it a little bit at the start of the season, like, oh, let's get it to Jordan. But I actually think now watching, they go, well, we don't have that superstar, so let's work as a team. So that is worth something working in their favour. Yeah, no, interesting one, interesting one, and you know, we're it's a, a whole bunch of interesting discussion, and literally as we've been as we've been discussing and talking about this, we've actually been having people tweet uh, tweeting on us, and one of them is Joe, who, in addition to Nicholas Hill, uh, recently advocating for Scott Fardy to come back, she's saying, massive Scott Fardy fan here, um, bring him back as well, uh, so <laughs> which I'm loving. There's goes to show how many options there are available there it's a big question very big question um we'll bring this to our final question of the night and one that i think we've all uh kind of it was one of the first ones that came up when i put the tweet out earlier today um and again from another stalwart another young gun of the gagger um of the gagger group and uh it's this one bloke you may have heard of him his name's hugh cavill and he asks the question Give me Wallaby 10 rankings out of James O'Connor, Matt Tamua, Will Harrison, and Noah Lalesio. This is a difficult one, and I am anyone who I feel like I put I throw this question to first, I'll be throwing them under the bus. Um, so with that in mind, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> how, how are those ribs from those hospital parts? Uh, very tender, very tender. Um. If I'm going to have to put a sort of list together, I'd be, I'm sort of, I approach a topic thinking if I'm picking a squad today, what would it be? I found it very clear that it's actually, it's a battle between three because personally, James O'Connor for me is an automatic selection, but he's at, for me, he's at 12. Um, I think, uh, I think Malesio's just got it at the moment, just recent bias form. He out, out points Tamua. I think I, I think just Alessio and then Tamua's probably got that experience has got to come in handy somewhere. So you've probably got him over Harrison. But that could change over the next eight weeks. That's that's my ranking at the moment. Yeah, look, I the pretty much the unanimous thing that we had response that we had in regards to this question, which was basically either Harrison or Alessio and then daylight. Um, we had, I think it was a fat prop who literally throw, he, he gave all of his, all of his thoughts on these questions. And he, and that was the big one that he said, he basically thinks that it's the young guns and nothing else. Um, what do you, uh, what do you reckon, Dylan? Do you reckon that uh, you should, you would give the 10 to one of the young, the two youngins, or do you reckon you trust it in the hands of James O'Connor or Tamua? One of my least favourite things about Australian rugby is when we talk about bolters. I just think anytime something you know new and shiny comes on there, Australian rugby goes, "Ooh, bolter, ooh, bolter." But every time I watch uh, Noah Lalasio uh, touch the ball, mate, that kid is an out-and-out talent. He has a rugby brain. Just yeah, I'm 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 high on the Lalasio train. He is a gun. Um, and then I would go with Will Harrison. You know, this is a kid who has played well for the under twenties, and look, he's he's playing behind a pretty ordinary Tars pack. That tight five's not great, but he is still controlling the ball, still has composure, doesn't just kick the ball away. It actually plays like a ten. Um, then it's 
Tamua, who I think is a 12. I think Tamua's play, played probably some of his better rugby on the weekend for the uh, for the Rebels. I think him and Lauren's combination is coming along really nicely, but he's still not a 10. Um, and then it's uh, Jock, but I don't think Jock's a 10. I actually don't think anyone at the Reds is a 10, to be honest. I think that's probably their biggest weakness, but... Yeah, look, it's a it's an interesting one. What do you what do you reckon, Jack? Are you I know you're a big Brumbies man. Are you on the? I'm assuming you're on the Lessio train as well. Yeah, there's two ways to answer this question. Whether it's um, you know, who would I like to see uh, in the in the Wallabies jerseys, and uh, on the other hand, who is the you know the the form tens running around this competition? I think I think they're both the same answer. I think I I tend to agree with everyone else. Alessio, then yeah, um, probably yeah, Tamua, and then uh, James O'Connor, um, and yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think the other two are, are both twelves. Um, so for for the Wallabies starting, I, I would put you know I put Alessio with a with a Tamua backing him up on the bench, um, and then the other two um, fall where they may. Okay. Well, here comes my controversial opinion of the evening because uh, we need to. It's important to have those. So I'll start from the bottom in terms of we're ranking. The question of ranking is from from top to bottom, and I'm actually going to put Harrison at the bottom. And the reason why not is not because of his talent ability. This is a bloke that has been incredibly impressive for uh, every time I've seen him touch the ball. On top of it as well, he's such a tough nut. The amount of times he got slammed on uh, on on Saturday night by the likes of Taniela Tupo, and he just got back up and kept going, um, I think said a lot uh, about how, t- how tough a customer he is. But this is his first proper season, I think, really. His, his real first, realistic first proper season with the Waratahs in a regular capacity. He's only really had uh, one real proper season of NRC2. Kind of going off Dylan, uh, Dylan's point, um, I reckon it'd be way too early to put him in a green and gold jersey. Way too early. I think he's had... He needs a bit more time to play in kind of that outfit. Um he needs a bit more time to not only kind of he's shown himself independently to be a fantastic player with an excellent rugby brain. He needs to actually now to start racking up some confidence, racking up some wins, knowing what to do in those intense, in those kind of intense situations. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to have him down the bottom. Um, uh, but obviously not as a matter of if he gets selected, but more when James O'Connor, I, I agree. He's a bit more of a center. Um, so I'd probably have him at three. Um, but I'd definitely be picking him for for the Wallabies side. And, you know, leading off kind of the one and two, I'm in agreement with you, Jack, around having Lalesio as the starting player and Tamua as the backup sledgehammer. And the reason for that is I think Lalesio, he's had two seasons of NRC, um, both of them in which he excelled um, as a fantastic player. He really had he had a, a good uh, bit of time with the Brumbies last year. Even though I think Liliofano was still kind of the main the main ten role, he still got to play a couple of games. Even then, he really stood out. Um, and this year, that the investment and the time that they have put into him is really showing in the quality that he is delivering. So while I you know wouldn't be wanting to go for a young bolter and a young gun. Uh, with two, with nearly two seasons under his belt of Super Rugby, I reckon he's kind of proven himself now and earned himself that shot um, to have a crack. At, uh, to have a crack, because on top of it as well, he, there's something about him that reminds me of Larkham, the way that he picks a hole, the way that he fills that space, the way that he finds a space out of nowhere. The long range try that they scored against the Rebels on the weekend uh, was a thing of. Absolute beauty. It reminded me of kind of those days where Larkin would just look and then suddenly duck through a hole and you wondered how the hell he got through. Um, I really think he'd be an excellent choice. And and that's no slouch on Tamua. I think Tamua uh, is, he is a very, I think he's a very good choice at 10. I think though he is at his most effective when coming into a game for the Wallabies at a later time when you have... You, you need that big lift near the end, and every single time he's done, he's fulfilled that role. 
of coming in later in the game to, to bring the Wallabies home strong, he has excelled at that role. And I, I reckon having him around, uh, also being a support to Lalesio, uh, would be extremely beneficial for that squad. It's the right kind of problem to have. Yeah, if we're talking Wallaby selection as well, um, I think our, our systems and our, and our game plan and, and the experienced players in that Wallaby system should be um, good enough that it allows someone like a Lolesio or a Harrison to step in the jersey, you know, maybe start and, and gain, some, gain some valuable minutes in that Wallabies jersey with, you know, enough um, experience coming off the bench that, um, you know, there's that safety net there and that the experienced players around him can step up and, and, and sort of take the burden off him as he's learning the ropes. I was about to say, just, just while we're talking about fly-offs, I'll throw an interesting hypothetical up here. Um, so, with the, I know we're sort of ignoring the Western Force in this whole debate here, but we will, we'll wait and see how they, who they sort of pick at five eight and how they sort of stack up with a bunch. But if you would compare the New Zealand, the four fly halves New Zealand have to offer, and for this sort of debate, I'm Bowden Barrett's played full fullback, so I'm sort of classifying him as a fullback in this argument. Who, in which situation would you rather be, Australia or New Zealand? Oh. It's uh well, I mean, Australia's got the young talent. We've got like the young, exciting prospects in, particularly in Lalesio and Harrison. Um, I think the force. Um, I feel awful because I feel, because I know we've had we haven't really had we haven't really had the chance to 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 mention the force a lot tonight. But I think it's more uh, to any of our fans listening in the West. It's more out of the fact we with this new squad that you've got. We haven't really had the chance to actually see them play and see how they go. I think the force had. I think it was. Um, McIntyre last year in the NRC, I think it was their squad, their their, their ten. Um, he's been a really exciting uh, prospect for them. Um, uh, they had um they had Andrew Deegan. Oh, sorry, he, Andrew Deegan, not yeah, McIntyre. Before he came Andrew to the Deegan Rebels, who I actually wish De- as a Rebels fan, I want more Deegan. I, I just yeah. I think Deegan is hey, Deegan. is an out and out ten. He should be playing ten and put Tamua outside him. I, I love me some Billy Meeks. But put um, put Tamura outside uh, Deegan to mentor him a little bit. I've got no issues with that. Um, well, because the force have signed John O'Lance back. Yeah, John O'Lance. So, some bloke called John O'Lance, who's a fantastic player. <laughs> and, and with him and then now Nick Frisbee at nine, like I think the big thing for me is what we're missing is a nine and ten combination. Like Gideon and Cooper is an amazing combination, and when that works, like they just know each other so well. And even Phipps and Foley, they had it. Uh, you know, I'm not a big Phipps fan. I'm not a big Foley fan. But when those two played together, you know, magic happened. And I think that's what's sort of been missing. Um, you know, you've got a great um, nine in Tate McDermott, but he hasn't had that. He doesn't have that combination. You know, uh, you got Jake Gordon, but he doesn't have a combination or even short with Harrison as much. Uh, the Rebels just can't get a nine ten combination to save themselves at the moment. So. I think that'll be really key to find that partnership. Yeah, no, I think I think it would be as well. And I think that's like another key reason why New Zealand, I think, has it over us because they've got fantastic scrum halves and fantastic fly halves um, who are able to slot into each slot in together um, a lot. Um, I mean, you'd be point. I think in pure, obviously, in terms of experience and also the talent, um, New Zealand, I think, still has it up on us, but. I reckon that would be very even down if you've got someone like Lalesio playing um, for the Wallabies with a couple of cap with a whole bunch of caps under his belt and experience, um, and even having someone like Will Harrison backing him up. It's a exciting prospect in answer to your question, Nathan. I reckon. Um, I reckon that'll uh, that'll probably wrap us up for uh, for this episode because we've we've flown through all the questions. Um, and uh, and done so. So thank you very much, lads, for uh, for coming on for another Q and A sesh. No, thanks for having me. I needed some uh, good rugby news after today. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. It sucks. <laughs> uh, that's all right. It wasn't your fault, was it? Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> um, so for all of our listeners, if you uh, have any other questions you want us to ask, uh, you want to ask us, shoot us a comment. Um, Follow us on Twitter, uh, message Gagger with the hashtag the dropped kickoff. 
let us know what questions you want us to, to answer and discuss and debate and disagree on and have uh, furious arguments on. We always love a good chinwag. We'll, we'll never stop. And, of course, you can always listen or read our daily news, rather, even right now, especially right now, which is very good to hear. So coming up uh, this weekend in, in round two of the Super Rugby AU, the Rebels uh, will be playing against the Queensland Reds on uh, July 10th. Um, and then on July 11th, the second game, finally we have the Western Force going up against, uh, returning to the fray and going up against the Waratahs, which I am super excited to see. Um, I think the, I think I'm really excited by um, this Western Force side. They are such an unknown um, in this competition, and you know they, considering how challenging they were in in last year's NRC, they were the team to beat. Um, I reckon they might give this Waratahs side a, a bit of a run for their money. Should be a fantastic game, um, and make sure you guys get along to them when you can. Um, so that'll bring us to another episode of the Dropped Kickoff. Um, thank you very much all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you the next time around. But what did go wrong? I'll have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic, Sirly Bombo. Very interesting. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sirly Bombo. Very good. Very good. <laughs>